going on down there? Uh, I had a, uh, an interesting dream where I was locked in a mall during a, uh, there was a, some, not a zombie apocalypse, but it was like one of those worse ones where it's like, like the symptoms and the spreading style of a zombie apocalypse, except that you get all these super powered, uh, intelligent zombies and then, uh, bats from the animal exhibit in the mall were using their sonar to lead me to various, colorful power-up icons that then gave me uh, the ability to mash out a rhythm sequence on a PlayStation controller to shoot lasers at zombies. And then I woke up right after I finished that tutorial and I was really annoyed because it was about to be a very cool dream. Uh, and I missed out. Um, I didn't miss out on this, though. WTF and TFW episode 617 is recording now! And we're uh, going to be doing a, a quick little sesh of uh, a stack of listener cues, uh, as one sometimes tends to just want to do to decompress a little. You know, it's the summer of Morbius, so we we can really uh, uh, let some steam off. Aaron, I know you're absolutely relaxed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not a worry in the world. Let's crack open this Coke Zero and ah, um, TJ. Uh, I'm I'm assuming everything's relaxed over there now that you know that you survived. <laughs> What? Who? Who? Wait, what? What? There's a thunderstorm outside! Oh god, oh god, oh god, it's you. No, okay. That's got it here, never mind. Oh. Don't do that to there's me. Another, there's another oh. storm system, it just manifested. <laughs> TJ, Florida weather apparently has been fun. Good times. Thrilling. Yeah, thrilling. Especially, especially, it, it, was, it, was, it was great on Saturday, uh, going into work and, uh, hoping that my job wasn't in a flood zone. Yeah, it's always uh, fun. Because <laughs> I hadn't gotten to test that before. Well, uh, is it? <laughs> I'm assuming it so wasn't. No one had no no one. Yeah, none of my customers okay. had to swim, so we're good. All right. Yeah, we had a little moment. Uh, what was it two days ago where it was like probably fine if I survive. Not sure what's up with this weather, and it's like, oh yeah, it's that makes sense because you know that's that's how that state seems to just work, but. Um, that's actually how lots. That's how lots of states and even multiple provinces work now. Uh, thank goodness climate change is theoretical, as they say. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but uh, that aside, we are we are not going to climate climate scientize at you quite yet. We are, however, going to listener questionize uh, our way through some stuff here. Beginning with a question from the real Hybo Man, who says, "Hello, uh, WTF? Uh, who cares?" Which I think is supposed to be forming a swear word, but I saw through your game. Uh, the real hypo man here with a question and a plea. Uh, so I guess the question first. Um, I think recently I've been able to pin down a factor driving changes in my taste in Transformers. Time. When I was a kid, I loved complicated transformations. They made me feel like I was dealing with something high-tech and provided a big bang for my buck, but as college and grad school and jobs set in, I found myself gravitating to toys that are more manageable so I could get the full experience in whatever available time I had. Same is true for buildy toys. I got Glio sets because of Vangelis and TJ, but I'll be danged if I can get past the worry that I'll have to leave things mid-build and all disassembled. I have the same problem with uh, weaponizers, modulators, fossilizers. Do you concur? Has the specter of time stolen your interests from you and replaced them with more efficient ones? 
please feel that's a really freaky way to put it. Please feel free to expand on this idea. I hope this is granular enough for you. Uh, just a little quick aside. I feel like this is actually a conversation video games hobbyists have gone through in podcasts I've listened to in past of moving from spending your whole 12 weeks of summer on a JRPG to going like, I gotta play something I can finish a session of in two hours. Uh, mm-hmm. but, uh, yeah, I, I, uh, I think for me it's, it's it hasn't been so much about time as it has been about identifying flow, because I, I, I know I've lost hours of time to far simpler toys in the last few months, because I've actually noticed the day go by, because I was having so much fun. But uh, I think it, it, you know, it's a bit subjective, and so with that in mind. Um, uh, Aaron, have you uh, found yourself gravitating uh, noticeably in a way that you've identified as, as like, I don't really want to... St- be stuck with a long experience transformation toy or does it really i mean you know whatever it is part part of this comes back to the whole time is the most important resource thing um however um man it's something that really all depends on 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 a lot of different factors because i like the small like easy to digest you know desk toys or the the war and pocket style things personally over like masterpieces sometimes because sometimes you want that like really cool big experience however that really cool big experience i might transform three times maybe four times if i really like it the warren pocket guy i could easily transform him a hundred times um just because it's something i can leave on my desk not as my desk and it's something that i can like you know, do without having to be intent with versus some, like, again, back to the masterpiece style transformations where you really have to be serious about, okay, this panel goes up, then this thing slides around, and then this panel goes down, and that part slides back 90 degrees, and then those two lock in, and then you take this whole thing, and then you do that, and you don't get that so much with the smaller things. So it's, it's like, not necessarily, like, I mean, it's levels of, I guess, efficient um, to to the the time that you put into it to the the good brain juice hits that you get out of it, um, especially when sometimes mm-hmm. those very large ones are much more expensive than maybe they kind of have right to be. Um, not saying that 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 it's not a bad value, but if you're looking at like. Yeah, you know, and it depends on your play pattern. If you want that thing on the shelf that looks the most like the cartoon or the the animation, well, then then masterpiece is your way. A big way for me to say nothing well, I, the whole time. I think I think this is definitely like uh, sounds to me like cause, you, know, you can't avoid it even if you haven't dug into it too deep. There's no way not to be not to be thinking in some way about the recently announced masterpiece Skyfire, who is uh, two hundred like eighty American, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just know the Canadian price is 350 at the cheapest. Uh, and, you know, apparently he's going to be over a foot tall, etc. So I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. But you know, it's still an expensive thing. Uh, TJ, what about you? Like, have you found that you're you're looking for that kind of efficiency now? Or is it more something that just happens naturally or, or even not at all? Honestly, it's probably something that I've always gravitated to. Like, I... I get that big experience thing, but at the same time, I get really frustrated when it takes me so long to go through the process of a transformation. It's one reason why 
I will give credit to Revenge of the Fallen Optimus Prime for being a, a marvel of retail level engineering. I really don't like transforming that toy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like I think I did it twice and I was done. And I'd say the same thing of like Masterpiece Megatron 2.0, where it takes me so long to go through that thing. I don't think I've transformed it since I took it out of gun mode. It's like at, at some point, it's not even a matter of time. It's just for me personally, it's never been fun to just sit through a, like a super long transformation unless what it's doing is worth it. And like what it's doing transformation wise is impressive enough for me to be invested the entire time. Mm hmm. No, if it's just if it's just complicated for the sake of accuracy or something and it's not really doing it's just you know panels shifting that's not as intriguing as say like masterpiece ironhide and this like inside out oh like half that half that van just went inside his chest kind of magic trick mm. like that invests me more as far as like a complex transformation goes but i think in general i think it's just more satisfying when you you can like see a vehicle, we can enjoy a transformer in one mode, take it into the other mode, and it doesn't feel like you know you wasted like a chunk of your afternoon getting mm-hmm. it from one to the other, or like you or like if something in like your, that little like your sundial like, can tell you how hmm? long you've been doing this. Right, right, yeah. If my sundial hasn't moved, then it's a night. Then I'm I'm good. Where y'all getting your bespoke sundials nowadays? Who's the best Etsy seller? Uh, 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 get up for those. Stick in dirt works well enough. Oh, oh, okay. hobbyist sundial. I understand. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, the the the, the two actually reminded me. Like that's almost a great way for me to explain my own viewpoint. Is like both masterpiece Megatrons uh, take a while to transform. Uh, I I will always pick the new one. Uh, MP36 because I, I just genuinely enjoy that transformation and so for me it's like uh, I will lose myself sometimes in a figure if I am enjoying the experience so much where it's uh, like like my first legacy figures I was messing with them for so long suddenly like two hours had gone by because I was just like exploring through how they work and taking some little photos and stuff uh, and so it's less about the time and more about the flow and the enjoyment for me and how much the time disappears as opposed to how much the time is being taken from me, I guess is the way I'd put it. Mm-hmm. So uh, whether or not something's complex, it's like, do I enjoy what's happening and am I engaged with it? And is it, often for me, it's like, is there a really good transformation flow where I'm I'm happy to be spending the time doing this because it's it's like messing with you know, if it's messing literally with a fun tactile object. Uh, Ocular Max Assaultus, the, the the Mastermind Bruticus, is a great example where I have several times just gone like, I'm just going to turn on a YouTube video, I'm going to chill out for 90 minutes and transform all of these through every mode because that's fun. Uh, and it's like, that's sort of going in knowing this will take a while. Uh, as opposed to experiences I've had where it's like, oh, do I want to mess with this thing? Because I know it's going to take a bit, and if I stop halfway through, I'm going to have a hard time if I don't get right back to it tomorrow. Uh, or if it's like, oh, is this going to be in a mode where like I'm I, I'm going to have to figure out where to put it because it's no longer something I can just stand on the desk because I've put it into the spread out everywhere mode or something mm-hmm. like that. Uh, and then... Because usually the spread out everywhere mode also ain't all that fun to mm-hmm. to turn it into half the time. So uh, 
I think that's that's more for me, like, how things work. Glyos actually is a great way to... It's weird. Like, I, I, I am still to this day, I don't do it as much, because a lot of my Glyos I have to put in storage uh, for space, because I bought too much Glyos in the early 2010s. Uh, I, I could lose uh, an entire evening to that, uh, just, like, you know, pushing pieces in and out, whatever. And then, oddly enough, uh, like, weaponizers, modulators, uh, fossilizers, only fossilizers have approached that same vibe for me of making me feel like I'm... I'm really connecting with the experience of what's happening, and I don't feel like I'm I'm having time taken from me. I'm instead making my time into uh, those good brain chemicals. Um, so I think it's an interesting question because, like, it is definitely like like many things, it is incredibly subjective, and it's subjective in contexts that I don't think a lot of us think about consciously that much. You don't have to, but I think it's really fun to think about that stuff. You know, like why. Do I like to lose myself in 90 minutes of one toy, and why do I find it frustrating to have 20 minutes taken by a different experience, you know? Um, that brings us to uh, the real Hybo Man's plea, which is, What even is a remold anymore? I thought we were all coming to our senses after the It's Combiner Wars Silverbolt meme did the rounds. Guess what it didn't. Uh, it's still going around. But then Slammer came along, and people are trying to convince me he's a remold of Ironworks because their thighs are the same, and literally every other piece is brand new. Does new mold equal remold? Help! Another great one to point out now that we've got Hasbro designer input is uh, Studio Series 86RC, who is 90% new, I think, or more, maybe more like 80% new, um, of parts built on top of Thrilling 30RC, but like, a lot of new parts. I've seen that, that conversation actually going around multiple different channels of why are they not just making a brand new toy? To which I think that that enters the realm of like, they don't necessarily have to tell us, but uh, to me, like, what is it called? Occam's Razor says this is cheaper because that because mm-hmm. they're doing it this way. Yeah. I uh, mean, that's why. Especially, <laughs> especially now that it's very clear that they are to 3D modeling um, for yeah. at least some portion of their design and development. I bet that somewhere within all of their like, hey, here's the, the the shared network drive that we have between the office, the people that are working at home, and the people overseas. There's probably somewhere in there something that's like, okay, here are all the legs that we've done, and then that way you can take a look at them and get a kinematic idea of, hey, here are different like ways that you can collapse the leg down, maybe. And I like that word that, kinematic. Yeah. And uh, I like I like fancy words. Uh, and then beyond that, I could very easily see it being something like, okay, well, here's our scale. Well, that thigh is exactly the height that I need it to be for what I'm doing, or is close enough that I can like bump my other design, you know, parameters a little bit. And then, like, so I'm just take this and copy it and paste it over here. And now we're going to save. You know, we know that. We know that that's manufacturable because we've done it, and we know that like it doesn't split or explode or do anything silly because we've done it. Just do it. It's a thigh, whatever. Like, how many characters out there have like identifiable thighs to the point that you could never I mean, reuse all them? of them? If you're if you're yeah. a true fan, yeah. I, I mean, if, uh, if I, that's I, if that's how you get excited, then I understand. Um, but and- I just thought of an analogy that, that fits this really well is, um, and this is a bit of a broad, a broad analogy, but I think the, the easy way to think of it is, uh, to coin the phrase, why reinvent the wheel when you're making a car 
why not use four of the wheel that has been invented when you're making the car? It's not that's not like a one to one, but I think that's a really easy kind of broad way to think about it. Is like we're gonna make an RC from the '86 movie. There's two other RCs who are basically based on how she looks in the '86 movie, more or less. Uh, I've mm-hmm. actually yeah, it's like it's it's like it's like tracing a picture. Mm-hmm. It's, it's yeah. gonna be it, it's your your what the end result's gonna look different, but you're gonna see where it came from, and it's in the end, it's faster and easier than coming up with it from scratch. I've, I've actually pulled up the Instagram post because I forgot how specific it was. This was this in fact answers it. So hey, everyone, big scoop. Here's your big news scoop because no one ever. A lot of people let the spe- the specifics of these Hasbro folks Instagram posts just fly by, and it's like it. It all says it right in here, like whether or not you want to believe him, I guess. But uh, Evan uh, says, quote, we had a limited budget for new parts and I wanted to get an 86 RC in the line. So I asked Takara, I don't think we have enough parts to make the Earthrise RC look like an 86 RC. How would the Takara team feel if we used the T30 RC as a base? And that's what we did. So that that actually is the whole thing. We mm-hmm. had a limited budget for new parts. So there you go. Like, it, uh, And so because I've seen the question of like, well, is it really... If, if there's so many new parts, because uh, she has a new head, new forearms, new torso, new legs, and new rear of the car. So it's like, does that, wouldn't that already be enough for a new toy? It's like, I, I, I would I would see where you're coming from, but the person who made it said it wasn't enough money for a new toy. So I, I guess this is the outcome when you don't have mm-hmm. enough money for a new toy, right? Well, that, and, and, uh, and there's just so many gradations of what is new toy, you know? So. Yeah. Because, I mean... Uh, this yeah. Instagram post does a lot, like the fact there's an ab joint, right? It's like, okay, it's this is not going to just be like, oh, they did a new head for <laughs> T30RC. It's like, nah, she's like, there is still a lot of new on her, and I think that it, you know, they, they as you said, they use a lot of 3D now, so you, you start there. Uh, this was done by Yuki-san, uh, who, you know, I'm assuming is an expert at this stuff, because, you know, uh, Takara Tomi designer uh, and engineer. Uh, anyway, TJ, you were going to say something. Um, I don't know. Not especially pertinent. I've already forgotten it. <laughs> I was just, I was just, I, I was really lit up when I just saw. I, I forgot that this literally said we had a limited budget for new parts because I just, I had just seen this mm-hmm. this debate elsewhere, and I was kind of like, no, people need to re- news sites need to report on all this stuff. Like I know that they quote it, but it's like put it in bullet points, make it digestible. We got to bully the wiki to write these things down. <laughs> Uh, because I'm not allowed to edit the wiki. Yeah, but I, I, yeah, yeah. I like I I would add like it just it kind of just goes back to you know like whatever method has the most work already mm-hmm. done that's gonna be the cheapest method. Like there's a ton yeah. of parts there, but the engineering's already figured out the sizing and all the 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 budget stuff has already been figured out on that mold. So like there's a lot in there that you don't see in physical parts because it's all behind the scenes stuff that they're saving money on. Yeah. yeah. Hey man, the, also, the best the best engineers out there are the laziest ones. What's the shortest path to, say, to the best answer to this problem? Not lazy. It's efficient. It's not lazy, it's, it's most efficient. creative. Yeah. Well, yeah and that's yeah. lazy. There's this whole thing about there's this whole thing in again, it kind of I mentioned this earlier, but it reminds me of the conversation in video game design where it's like, "Oh, I can tell they I could tell this tree was reused from the, the previous game or something. And it's like, there, there is a certain point where I think the, the, cons- the consumer, average consumer, has been taught to vilify what they see as the cheap approach or the lazy approach when it's like, as you said, also it could just be the efficient approach. 
where they're not going to like make it, you know, in video games, not going to make a bespoke tree for every new game that ever gets made. If at mm-hmm. the end of the day, it's trees that yeah. are sometimes in the background. That's why uh, Speed Tree exists as this offering. You see it in the credits of like every video game and many movies now. I don't know. We want yeah. a forest over there of deciduous trees. Click. Or when drag, like there's, there's part draw two. window, click, trees. Like part part two or part three of a video game series where they are iterating on the same game engine and people are going like, I can recognize the animations being reused. And it's like, it's like yeah, dog, it's because it's the same character doing the same thing. Like that that should be the the bonus of doing the sequel is that the groundwork has now been laid out to build upon, uh, which is kind of getting away, I guess, from the question. But yeah, what, what is a remold retool anymore? I think we need to, I mean, we don't need to, but I, I would like it if we started kind of um, granularizing the terminology, as I think we already have been to a degree, where mm-hmm. like most most fans who care enough to talk about this stuff kind of, you know, in their own language, clearly differentiate between this is a toy with just different colors, this is a toy with different deco, it's a toy with uh, a new head, so it's a new head redeco, uh, as opposed to an SS86RC, where it's like, yeah, this is basically a new toy, like, it's technically a partial, so we'll just, we'll say it's, uh, you know, it's it's a technically a partial, because usually if someone says that, they're implying that it doesn't feel like the old toy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, we're, we're figuring it out. I think getting the language of stuff like a partial from these Hasbro folks is only a boon, because it means we have more words to describe things, too. Uh I've been personally really happy about learning the word capsule because subline always comes out of my mouth funny, and I prefer saying capsule. Is it a <laughs> subline or word. is it sublime? It's a sublime subline. Uh, that's below. When, when that's that's below limes, so it's sublimes. All, all the sublime sublines when they're sublime, they're sold out. That's another S word. It doesn't rhyme. I thought it might be able to kind of BS its way into rhyming, it, it couldn't. Um, so yeah, I you know, also, I'll just, just to cap this one off, I think it's really cool that we we can't just rely comfortably on the terminology we used like 10, 15 years ago because the technology has changed and, and etc. Like I like it when stuff keeps changing like that because it means, you know, things are interesting and mm-hmm. uh, and not, not settled into puddles, I guess. Uh, I am constantly circling around on the Combiner Wars Silver Bolt meme, though, because every time I get annoyed by it, someone circles it around the, like, the orbit of the planet one more time, and I start finding it funny again, because they're, you know, they've now hammered its head into paste on the floor, uh, and that makes it funnier again. I, that or the occasional person that'll this. find it for the first time and be like, what the, what, no, no, there's no way, what, no! And then it's like ah oh the person ah yeah, ah come here pulled into the vortex yeah I, no, I lo- every now and then you got to let someone just get sucked underwater for a few minutes yeah when they pop back up it's like they've seen the underverse uh-huh. like, oh I understand now <laughs> I don't even remember what the last one was there was the last one was really funny too because it was just because like the wrist cuffs resembled uh, <laughs> yeah silver belt. Or it was vaguely uh, H shaped, and then the arms turned down. Or there was there was something that was like the vague transfer. The like the if you made seven blocks and moved them, it was almost the same, <laughs> except for three of them or something. And it was like, yep, that's just a remold. 
and then yeah, seeing people kind of lose it over it. It's like, no, it's it's obviously a joke. We know it's not actually a re- calm down. Put the put the knife down. Just put the knife down. And it's, it's okay. you know what? It's a legit tired joke that some people say without even knowing why it's funny. And yet, unlike many other ones, this one just keeps re-delivering for me. I don't know why. The, by the way, anyone who doesn't know what we're talking about, uh, it's a long story. But basically, there was a period where I think a lot of people were genuinely were trying to deduce whether things came out of Combiner or Silver Bolt or not. Mm-hmm. Uh very much on the back of things like, you know, uh, what's, I was going to call him Turtler, because I always forget his normal name. Uh, the Seacon's torso. Snaptrap. I always remember Turtler, and like, now and then I call him by the pirate name. <laughs> it's weird. But yeah, he, you know, he was, he was technically a silver bolt, and I think that was probably the, the root of the meme. So it, w- it was, it was like going from Silverbolt to Cyclonus to, uh, Scattershot, yeah. and then yeah, to to that, and then I think it was, I think it was mainframe from the arc. Yeah, that he had that the... same boxy <laughs> yeah. shape to him. That was that was where the nightmare I think truly began. <laughs> uh, oh boy. Anyway, that's a, that's the story of a meme, um, and that, that's a listener question. So uh, thank you, Real Hyba Man. We're gonna pop over to one from Arufansa now. Uh, he says, hello, WTF at TFW, all caps. Uh, it has been long since I have written in a question, uh, written in with a question. Many moons have passed and sagas ended, but I return with quandaries to hopefully spark your brains. For a little less than a year, I've been making toy videos on TikTok. I want to thank you all for inspiring me to try this in the first place. It's been such a joy discovering a new facet of my hobby. I started making these videos with no intention of gaining a following, just trying to goof around. However, while getting lunch, I look to my phone and see the numbers on my Armada Sideswipe video climb into the hundreds of thousands. I immediately start having an I am perceived panic right in the middle of Panera Bread. My question is if any of you uh, have had the same or similar moments, times where the realization people are watching you became very tangible. Uh, What was that experience like, and how did you feel once it subsided? Um, I feel like I've seen Aaron's moment at one of the Mm -hmm. TFCons, but also also Aaron had the doppelganger moment. Uh, And not the doppelganger at TFCon, the other doppelganger. The more mysterious one, who was trying to... Who, who, who was trying to say he was he, on the podcast? He, yeah, <laughs> to um, you yeah. in person. Yeah. <laughs> no. So the moment for me really was—I can't remember if that was TFCon or if it was a botcon—where there was somebody that came up, and I had mentioned um, that Gundam markers, Gundam pins, weren't available around here, and I'd kind of been thinking about getting them. And a young gentleman came up and said, "Hey, you'd said that on on a recent episode," and so I went out and I bought them, and here you go. And this random person I had no idea it was gave me a gift from his heart. And then I felt really bad because I said that it was a weird moment for me later. And then he took that the wrong way and I felt even worse. And I still kind of feel bad to this day, even though I've explained. And if I'm sorry, I've forgotten your name over all these years. But if you're the person that gave me those Gundam markers, it was weird because I don't know how to relate such a feeling into normal human words. It is like the most... (laughs) Oh my gosh, I, I I do exist. People listen to this and they enjoy it and they wanted to give something back and it fills fills that cold dark space in the middle of the chest up with something. La, uh, some word like that. I um that is probably the moment where I kind of have and occasionally afterwards have an existential panic moment of like we're not just 
three dudes dorking around on the internet and occasionally this thing gets published out and theoretically other people listen to it, I guess. Um, and really like brought it home that, that this is a thing and that people enjoy it. And, and, Oh, there's always, there's always multiples too. It's just like, to me, because it, it, I guess it's it's what you find to be the moment, right? Because to me, the moment is actually that story about the guy. Because how long has it been? It's been a couple of years since we've told it, right? I'll tell it at the end of this after we answer the questions. But the the story of the multiple Aaron yeah. doppelgangers, uh, the stories. Yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll, I, I like telling those because I misremember just enough of it to make it sound even more ridiculous. Um, but uh, before we get to that, uh, TJ, what about you? Like, do you do you recall the experience of the the I am perceived moment, the panic, the feeling, etc. I'm trying to remember if there is like one moment that is like specifically, oh, people care about what I do and people are actually paying attention to it. I, uh, Cause like, I, 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 we're good. good. Hmm? No, 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 I was going to say, I vaguely recall at least a moment for you was one of the Metro cons where you had had like, it was one of the first times you really got like access and were involved almost with the gears of the show, but you know, not like literally being like show staff. And I did, I just recall at the mm-hmm. times I, I always remember there was like, uh, something about it had made you feel really like that you had, uh, you'd done something that someone else really enjoyed and you were being welcomed into a space to continue doing it. Uh, this is the first one that popped into my mind, at least. I, that, that, yeah, that, well, that was, that was really special to me because that place means the world to me. Um, and we're going to find out how much they mean to me because this year falls on my birthday and I'm terrified, but, um, um, you, you mean it, it probably does revolve around Metrocon to a point. Cause like, that's the first time people like recognized me and like wanted photos and wanted me to sign mm-hmm. things. And like, why am I that? Why am I that signing important? Signing an iPod. No, I don't want to mar your thing. Why would you want my, my scribble? <laughs> Someone out there has a Funko Pop with my autograph on it. It's, it's not even a Transformer one. It's just a random one. I, th- I think like the the moment, like like the moment where it's just like, not, it's not even like the realization that it got that it's that, but it's gone that mm-hmm. far. Uh, that's the one that stands out to me, which is uh, is again, it's at Metrocon. It's talking with Scott McNeil one day. And he's telling me that he was doing conventions in Canada and someone came up to him trying to talk to him and he was name dropping TJ Omega to get in good with Scott McNeil. Mm. Oh, we've gone the other direction now. Okay. So uh, somebody so starts name dropping like. me to get in with good with someone. They don't know why. Why, no, why are they, you using they did, me? Aaron? <laughs> they they named Aaron. They name dropped you. It's just they did it to you because yeah. they didn't know you yeah. were you. Yeah, and they, okay, we're gonna get to that. We'll, one later. we'll get to that so, story. Yeah. I love that story. Uh, so speaking for myself, I got a bunch of them because to me, there's all kinds of different moments. The very first one was before BotCon 2008. I put up a video where. I was uh, putting on this this the whole thing that was that was part of my YouTube thing I was doing when I started making YouTube videos, uh, which was coming off of BotCon 2007, when me and a bunch of friends thought it was really funny to keep introducing me as internet celebrity evangelist, and there was, like, nothing to back it up other than, like, eight people or so all asserting that that's simply the mm-hmm. case. Uh, and I thought that was very funny. So before BotCon 2008, 
I did this video, I think it's still up too, where I was just doing this whole bit of like, yeah, you know, autographs with me are going to be, you know, this many hundred dollars, and, uh, you know, you'll get about eight words with me before I, you know, got to move on to me public. Uh, and so I was like, yeah, that's funny. That's going to be a cool bit. We're going to have, we're going to have a laugh at the show. And then I went to Bach on 2008, and then people <clears throat> who I didn't recognize were walking up and saying, oh, hey, the stuff you're doing on YouTube is really cool. I like it. Keep it up. I, uh, I don't have any money for an autograph. They were getting it on the joke. But that, that was the first moment I had with like, oh, oh wait, these people, I don't know who these people are. Um, and then, uh, <laughs> this the joke got outside coming. of my hands. Oh no. Yeah. And then that, that led to coming across, you know, uh, a, a discussion thread in which someone had mentioned a video I made, except I didn't post it in that discussion thread and I didn't know who the person was that was talking. Uh, and then that, that was kind of a moment. These, this is also old internet moments too, uh, where there, there's le- there was less discovery and less algorithm discovery, you know? So I, it was, it was like a lower key numbers, but also like it, it hit harder. Uh, and then it, it's just, you know, I still get them now and then, um, except that like something about my brain is twisted to where I don't mind being perceived because I feel like I do a decent job of it and I hopefully am making people, uh, enjoy what they are into. Um, the moments now are when it's someone who's like, oh, I started watching you in high school and now I'm graduated and the, the thing you did made me decide to pursue this and I succeeded and now I'm doing this. And, uh, it's, it's, that, that is a, a very interesting thing to hear that, uh, you know, I, I, something I made ended up having an imp, an impetus on someone to, uh, make a small decision that turned into a big decision. Uh, cause I've had that happen to me before where just a, some silly thing that I saw made me say, I'm going to try doing this. And, you know, that ballooned out into something else. Uh, so I think it is also very much a personality type thing. And I, I can completely understand, especially, uh, in our current era that like, you know, looking at TikTok one day while you're putting up videos that people seem to be enjoying, then you see, as you quoted here, hundreds of thousands of views. That would definitely, I think even now, would make me go like, wait, what happened? Am I in trouble? That's that's the bummer, right? Is the first thing you think is like, oh no, what's happening? Is this a meme? Is this a... <laughs> am I getting comment flooded? Uh, but uh, for me, once it subsided, it just eventually became like a really good feeling. Like every time I hear about... Um, a positive impact. It, it makes me feel a little bit better about having done things I did. Uh, but that, you know, that, that a lot of it is very personality driven, uh, and, and what one's neuroses are too, in my case. Uh, but now I get to tell the story of doppel Aaron. I'm going to tell it real fast too, because like I said, there are several of them. And the cool one is convention doppelganger Aaron, which is just, it's a, it's a friendly, cool fellow who happens to look a bit like Aaron. Uh, and unfortunately, that means that despite that fellow telling me his name at least 400 separate times over mm-hmm. multiple years, mm-hmm. it keeps getting overwritten with, oh, that's Doppelganger Aaron. And I feel really bad about that. <laughs> uh, but, you know, it's all in good fun, uh, as we've, uh, as we've, uh, I think, ascertained over time. But, the, the, I guess the Negaverse doppelganger Aaron was this time Aaron was at like a Toys R Us or something looking for Transformers as one does and encountered another Transformers fan in, in, in the aisle and had, you know, a nice conversation and which led to, oh, I post some TFW. He's like, oh, you do? I do too. And it's like, oh, that's really cool. And it felt like one of those, oh, this is maybe I'm making a new friend and, you know, we'll connect online. We can meet up and go hunting for toys. And then the fellow Aaron Sockby says, yeah, yeah, I'm on TFW. My name on there is Axsmith. It wasn't um, even that. It was like Axsmith. Like, Achis, Achis Smith. like, 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 and, and poorly like, pronounced version of the 
screen name that I don't ever try to pronounce because it's it's a stupid screen name. Why would anybody have it? That's the only reason why I have it everywhere. Sorry. Yeah, so so not only does the fellow, you know, establish that it is in fact his screen name, to your face, the person who uses the screen name, the fellow, because at that point, you can say, oh, this is a really funny coincidence that, for, you know, multiple coincidences, A, that you think that that is something you want to do, and B, you, you somehow managed to do it directly to me, the person who in fact is that user. It was then the part where he said, yeah, we do the podcast and things, if I recall correctly. And now I'm, I'm no, it was it thing. was as soon as like the jig was up, it it became a no. I meant um, are 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 you are you acts like it's like nah, nah dog. You tried to say hi. I'm blah blah and like unless it was something that was like oh he was so overwhelmed that like he brain reset, but like the way that he was trying to draw out how cool he was because he posted on TFW and how cool he was because he did a podcast. It was like, uh, reverse, um, go from there, come back. And yeah, it's just funny because also, as we've discovered over many years, the very first person who will ever get identified by voice by anyone who's listened to an episode of the podcast that he is on is Aaron. Mm-hmm. Uh, Aaron's voice is, is, is I believe, uh, numerically the most immediately recognized. So if this fellow also mentioned the podcast, which I think he said he did back when the story happened, mm-hmm. uh, it just makes it even more bewildering because how did he not know it was you? Yeah. Because you, <laughs> yeah. statistically, the, the numbers back it up. Everyone recognizes your voice first. So... This is still my favorite story yeah. <laughs> just weird internet stuff. Uh, anyway, that's the doppelganger Aaron story. Uh, that brings us <laughs> to uh, Arufonsa's second question. By the way, me, as far as I know, me and TJ have never had doppelganger <laughs> syndrome like that. Um, I've never had... Because you're not cool enough. But... <laughs> it's true. No, I, it's true. It's true. But, no, no, no. I have, at uh, when Toys R Us was still a thing browsing the transformer aisle i did start you know, someone did start a conversation with me who then claimed to be the editor of wtf <laughs> i sort of remember this yeah. I, I remember that i found that to be somehow more insulting <laughs> <laughs> wait you mean you want to take credit for that oh that's just it's like the one bit of extra work i do and then someone out there is just going, oh, yeah, I edit the podcast. <laughs> just feel like, all right, how many tracks? <laughs> how many tracks of a multi-track? MF-er? Huh? What's the funny name I use on one of the people? And it's... <laughs> I forgot about that story. And it is flooding. Oh, man. That's so weird. All I ever had happen was one time in in uh, in the States where I did not say I was in the States on online at the time. I went to a Toys R Us and two people recognized me while I was walking past a Transformers aisle. And that was weird. Because, uh, again, statistics make that a really unlikely scenario. But it just so happened to take place uh, that way. But they also didn't then claim to do all my editing or anything or be me. <laughs> I forgot about that editor thing. That is, that's, that, is that even a doppelganger? Or is that just theft? I don't... <laughs> no, no, it's not a... I mean, it's... It's not a. I don't know if it's a doppelganger because technically we didn't have a dedicated editor that he was claiming to be. He wasn't claiming to be you. 
yeah, put that way. Yeah, he just he he fashioned a being that didn't exist. Yeah, and the and the funny thing is, is that's he, like he, he, the he was, most provable thing. You know, if you've already said like, "Hi, I'm a person that deals with it," like to then say, "Oh yeah, I'm Chris's valet." Like, no, you're not. He doesn't have a valet. <laughs> like, if he did, he'd yeah, be put I'm together a-, a whole lot better than he is now, wouldn't he? I mean, also, what? I think I'd know if I had a valet. <laughs> right. <I> th- <laughs> Unless you're my valet, in which case. You've done such a bad job, I don't think I have one. And yeah. if you're being paid, <laughs> then I want it to stop. Uh, anyway, that, that was not the only question from Arufanza. Uh My second question is, any advice you can give for a person making their way in the crazy world of internet content? I've just hit uh, 30k followers. Congrats. I actually don't know what TikTok metrics look like, but that sounds impressive to me. Uh, which admittedly isn't super impressive for TikTok numbers. All right, there you said it right there. <laughs> but it's, it's a start. I think that's pretty impressive for TikTok still. Uh, more or less, I want to know how you guys cope with videos underperforming, how not to pressure yourself to meet imaginary deadlines, keeping yourself from trying to beat the algorithm, and let yourself go with the flow. Not really technical stuff, but more what a scrub like me can do to keep myself from being consumed by the content creation psychological monster. Perhaps there are some mantras you all keep to, uh, that, that serve me well in the future. Um, so I, I have an outlook on this. And TJ, I believe you have a fairly, well, I was going to say fairly newfound outlook, but also how long have you been doing, like, massive numbers of videos all of a sudden? Like, this is... Uh, s- since, since September. Yeah, so this is this is well past, like, a new thing. It's like, this is, uh, what is it? Uh, this is just the norm. This is just, this is just my life now. It's nine months, almost nine months that you've been doing that. Um, and as far as I can tell, you haven't beaten yourself into a corner, because, uh, I, at least I, I don't think you have. Uh, <laughs> so I, I will say the very first thing I'll say up front and this is a me thing that I've gone on about before so I'll be quick about it one of the first things I think you can do to get really energized about what you're doing is to stop calling it content and call it your media, your videos uh, if it's artistic, your art uh, take a positive ownership of it uh, unless to you the word content is positive because I know that also that's probably becoming a generational thing now Uh just if if content is a word that makes you not feel great about it, then stop using it. But if it makes you feel great about it, then go for it. That's my that would be the first thing I'd say. Um, but uh, TJ, just pop over to you because you've got now nine months experience of popping out some regularity videos. Uh, so do you get freaked out about underperformance or uh, uh, deadlines or etc. or like how? Because even you had a what was it daily video thing for a month or two, right? Was it a month or was it two months or was it more? It's nine months. Yes, that's, it's still been daily. That's that's the discussion that you it's had that you didn't realize daily. you were having with him. Oh man. Okay, so uh, <laughs> I guess going. I'm to... glad you're paying attention to my channel, good friend. My subscription feed is a complete disaster, is what I'll say. Um, <laughs> it's, it does that thing anyway. I'll, I'm not going to go on about that because that thing is also something that drives me nuts. But. Uh, yeah, uh, I, I just see piles of videos, and so at a, at a certain point, I just kind of assumed, like, well, surely you've gone to weekly by now. But no, if you haven't, then friggin' keep kicking ass. So, in that case, that's not an imaginary deadline. So, um, how do you not, I guess, you know, to use the, the, the question's wording, how do you not pressure yourself to meet them? How do you just meet them? So, part of it is keeping a list 
down either in your head or better written down where it's just for me and what I'm doing, just the stuff that I can pull on a rainy day. Okay, I sit, I talk to a microphone for 15 minutes, boom, there's my video. That way, it's a it's low energy, fills a day, and gets me to like the major stuff I want to do that actually is going to take research, time, writing, editing, etc. So it's it's kind of part like figuring out how to fill the time and just not really worrying about how it's going to perform uh, I think a big thing, a big thing for any content creator is don't get mired down in trying to make it as good as it can be in trying to make it perfect because you're never going to accomplish perfect. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. That's how you freeze as a content creator and go nowhere as you keep going. That's not good enough. I don't want to do it if I can't do it at my best. No, that's, some, that's no, the old, no, no. perfect is the enemy to... of, of good. It doesn't have to be perfect. It just has to mm-hmm. be. Yeah. You know. And I think uh, bouncing off of that, a thing, a thing is picking your battles as well. Um, kind, of, kind of going off of what you described. It's like, when I say picking your battles, it's like, all right, do I, do I, you know, do I have like something that I'm, I'm putting a ton of work into and I'm reaching the culmination of that? Or uh, do I want to, as you said, like, you know, grab one of my rainy day topics and just uh, ocu- occupy the space, exist for 15 minutes uh, in, in recorded form. And if you're doing that, it's like, all right, so the battle chosen, right, is, okay, if I'm going to just talk for 15 minutes, but then I got to make that perfect, like you said. You know, trying, trying to make every single instance of yourself uh, be on the same par every single time. Uh, unless you're being paid up front for that, um, it should be about what you are enjoying first and foremost and what is bringing out your serotonin. Uh, and because, and, like you said, with the whole thing about videos underperforming, uh, you, now I don't know how TikTok's, um, analytics work. YouTube's analytics are, like, designed to cause anxiety spirals, uh, right down to the wording they use. Um, and it is a common story, uh, not even my story, it's, but it is a common story you will hear umpteen times of a YouTube creator who says that they got lost staring down the barrel of their analytics like it was a gun pointed at their forehead, and they had a friggin' nervous breakdown. Uh... And that that stuff can drive you nuts because also any actual media production company has someone else who looks into the analytics if they're that important. Um, so I, I I guess what I would then say is uh, as a very important thing, remember that you are one person and if you're doing your own thing on any of these platforms, you are doing at least three to eight people's jobs all by yourself. Uh, and it's good to remember that now and then. Uh, to mm-hmm. to talk yourself down from punching yourself in the throat for not matching up to standards that, for the most part, you have created for yourself. You'll get comments now and then that, that claim that there is a level of standard you're not hitting, but most of the time, all due respect to commenters, I find that that tends to be the, wor- the words of a malcontent who wants to spread their own ill feelings to the nearest target they can find. Yeah, the only uh, the only way I would take any of that at all seriously, somebody making a comment, uh, it would be go and look and see what their professional page is. Oh, they don't have one. They're just somebody commenting from the peanut gallery. Eh. There's somebody commenting from I mean, the peanut gallery. Feel free to move along. The peanut gallery can have value. It's just that it specifically it's when someone starts saying that you're not measuring up to to the mm-hmm. as, the the asserted standards because. That's where, in my case, the way I always go go with that is like, oh, damn, I didn't know I had a boss. I just found out. And I think yeah. I'm going to get fired. 
Uh, that's that's one of the ways I used to deal with it. Um, but yeah, it's I think that just prioritizing your personal happiness is the main thing, and and in that, don't worry about oh, am I going am I going to ruin the flow, and am I going to ruin my algorithmic presence by changing things up? Because uh, if you don't, you eventually will anyway, and if you do ruin it then suddenly you're going to actually have synchronized with the algorithm when it changes for the umpteenth time. Uh, so, like, in my case, uh, I do a lot of just, like, off-the-cuff streaming on YouTube, which is, in fact, bad practices for a YouTube channel, because YouTube's own algorithm can't discern the difference between a lengthy live stream and a concise 11-minute uh, review piece. And so if you put up a two and a half hour VOD of a live stream that you just did on YouTube using YouTube's own system that does that, it will say, hey, only 800 people looked at the two and a half hour live stream VOD, whereas 2000 people looked at the video you just put up two, two days ago. Your channel is underperforming. And that's the language it will use. Uh, so in, in my opinion, you should just do what you want to do. Uh, and if it happens to be what people really like and the fact that they like it makes you feel good, then pursue that. But if the fact that other people like it makes you feel nervous, anxiety-ridden, or unhappy doing it, then shift gears and do what makes you happy. Like, for example, nine months ago, TJ, you shifted gears immensely. And I feel like you've been, you know, just a bit happier for it overall. Uh, <laughs> like, it... it I mean, I mean, that's part of that comes from like that new mindset. It doesn't have to be perfect because it takes so much like weight off of you. Because you're like, I tell this to people a lot, and I think it holds true. The only one you really have to satisfy with what you're producing is you. Mm-hmm. You know, you do it the way you have fun doing it, and if you are happy and you had fun making it, that video is a success no matter how many people watched it. And I think that's true of a lot of material, especially if you're doing this as a hobby rather than a profession. Mm. Uh, and for me, it was, it's was, it was like this like light bulb clicking into my head. It's like, I've been making it so much harder on myself because I got bogged down by what are people going to think? Uh, they're going to think I'm slacking. They're going to think I'm just taking the lazy route out. So, you know, what's it going to do to my metrics, etc. Here's the thing. If you're enjoying what you are doing, that's tangible through the video and it's the only thing people can feel through the video is if you are into it and that's what's going to keep people coming back because people get that little serotonin buzz from seeing people who are into what mm-hmm. they're into mm-hmm. you know it doesn't you know okay you have to do a bad video what you know it doesn't do well in the metrics whatever you're still around those people who latched onto you are still around try again yeah you just keep trying again there, there's always this fear that like oh if i get one bad video it's gonna ruin the analytics flow i'm on and i'm gonna be ejected out of the recommendation feeds and it's like there's, there's two things to know about that a if if that was so critical then your viewership is well beyond getting advice from other people doing it because you you are in the million views club if if if, if you are affected that badly by one poor performance uh and b Anyone who's had a poor performance like that, um, if they kept at it, they have all come back to some degree. Maybe not to the grand heights they may have once had, but still to impressive heights that seem, in some cases, to at least still bring a sense of personal happiness. So, it's never like, oh no, I messed up once, it's over. 
if it, like if you were in the recommendations feed that tightly already, you already kind of got a bit lucky because the recommendation feed saw you. There is so much well-made stuff that is ignored by the recommendation feed, and it is simple, unfortunately, uh, random chance. Uh, so to worry about trying to skew the dice rolls uh, to the point where you get freaked out when the dice rolls, you know, finally start rolling ones now and then, um, it does mean, like, you gotta take a step back and figure out what makes you happy, right? Uh, and anyone who really likes what you do, because I, I always feel like I'm letting people down. It's like my default state. But on on the on the uh, the context of internet media, people who really like what you do want you to feel good about doing it. So if you feel like you're letting them down, most of the time, they disagree. And when you're specifically worried about letting them down and they say, no, you're not, you should listen to them because they know what being let down is. And if they're saying you're not doing it, then you're not doing it, full stop. So, really, like, yeah, it's 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 put yourself first, uh, because whenever someone wants to sacrifice themselves to put themselves second, it just never works. It never goes well. It it leads to burnout. It it leads to unrealistic expectations, and it leads to thinking that that the recommendations feed and the algorithm are a controllable science when they they absolutely are not. Uh, you know, I'm no expert, but I will say really confidently they absolutely are not because they change so often with no consultation with even the most high-traffic creators on any of these platforms. Uh, not just YouTube, I mean Twitch as well. As far as I've heard, and having, you know, spent a while turning on YouTube videos while I paint stuff, uh, you know, Twitch TV does not sit down and consult with their highest-viewed uh, uh, creators on the, that platform. Um, they will sometimes send an email if you're a friggin' like, what, like a Hassan Abi or something, they'll go like, hey, we're doing this. But it's not like you can then reply to them from that position, like, well, I think it would be better if you did this and this. You're like, no, we were just telling you what you're doing. That's all. Bye. Like, <laughs> So, yeah, yeah. put yourself first. Um, or you'll end up with a doppelganger like Aaron. And not mm -hmm. the good one. I mean the Negaverse doppelganger. Uh, Alfonso goes on to say, thank all of you so much for everything, insp for inspiring, informing, entertaining, caring, and best of all, laughing your content, whether it be podcast or individual work has meant so much uh, in some of the worst times of so many lives. I hope you all remember to love yourselves and be proud of yourselves, because I know so many of us are. See, there, there it's, it's right there. That's, that's all the stuff I was just saying. <laughs> uh, I bid you all a fine click, and until next time. And I I'll just say again, like, my whole thing about the word content is not about people using it in a positive sense. It's more about the way it was fed into the vocabulary. Someday I'll have to get over it, but it's, it's one of those little things of mine that I... I only because I've encountered more than a few people who felt better when they detached themselves from the word, uh, I feel it's, it's worth it's worth offering as a suggestion. Um, anyway, that's uh, that's listener question number two. We're trucking through this, by the way. This is our check-in. We all good? We all got our seatbelts on? No one yeah. fell off the car yet? We're yeah. <laughs> uh, it's our what is it? Our wellness check-in. Our uh, our, our pause at the at the U-turn at the red light so we can all get the motion sickness under control. Because we're going to rock it right into this next one. Uh, this is a listener question from Prime Studio who says, uh, Hello again, Mr. Vangelis! All caps. And uh, even slash odd team. Through a recent and lengthy 2-plus research project for a Diaclone-related project, I discovered a dark side of collecting. That was interesting, to say the least. We can take Transformers for granted, as there are great online resources for official art, history, comment, books, and media on the subject, with such great examples as 
uh, what are these? BotchTheCrab.com, Transformers Legacy Art Book, and many others. Other fandoms, not so much. Diaclone was unique as I ran into issues just communicating with people about Diaclone resources. Someone in the UK was very upset that I even asked about one communication, uh, suggests that making these resources available would bring down the value of art they owned. Fear of knockoffs was also mentioned. Have you ever seen reactions like this in different fandoms? And how did you approach the subject? Uh, you're a loving banker, a prime studio. Wasn't this, like, literally something that some of those crypto goons were doing, where they were like, we got a... Like, they, they, they got, like, a copy of a... Of, of, uh, what was it? You, they got, like, a are copy you, are you of a production tokens? book. Oh, no, yeah. Uh, there was a crypto bro that bought a copy of the Dune movie, um, like, like a style guide Bible, um, notebook type thing. And, yeah. and it had, it and was then, like oh, yeah, very were... early. And then they were trying to say then that like all the Dune are belong to us. And everybody yeah. had to say, that's not how any of this works. Actually. Yeah, um, you bought a book. That is not in fact, <laughs> And, uh, and I would say that even though it doesn't sound exactly the same, that is my reaction I would have to someone being upset that their the value of their art would be diminished by spreading the resource of information amidst... Here's the thing. If you if you bought the Diaclone art, as a Diaclone fan who loves Diaclone, etc., etc., A, if you scan the art and watermark it, your art is still valuable, alright? But B... You, I don't understand why you, in that context, you'd be so worried about the value of art owned. There's a limited circle of of rebuyership for that kind of thing. That is niche. Uh, I, I don't. Know, I find I find that whole mindset completely ridiculous. I don't understand it. But um, the first thing I thought of, yeah, was those those Dune Bros who thought they were gonna like freaking control the IP and, mm-hmm. <laughs> and make a Dune NFT and blah 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 blah. Uh, but yeah, I, I I mean I've seen people be precious about information. Um, there's a whole thing about uh, arcade ROMs where people you know don't want to just dump ROMs because you're like, well, if I have the only copy of the board, then you know, I can this board is valuable and I want to be the sole owner of it. And, and me, I can't I can't let the ROM get out there. But like, I don't know that stuff is all kind of ridiculous to me. Uh, I, if you love something, you bought it because you liked it, and I, I sharing the information is 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 not the same. As uh, as you know, devaluing your possession in a way that matters at all. Like, I have something Transformers relevant I can talk about with this, but I don't want to keep rambling on and on. Do, do you guys have any examples of this you've seen elsewhere? I mean, I, I'm I, I hate to default to Lego with I, Aaron, but I was just, I, like, I'm immediately thinking about like Lego resale people. I mean, uh, those. I mean, even like, I don't, I don't know. It, it's an odd mindset that I know that I I know that I've seen before that like sharing those resources will lessen it. But I want to say that every... Most of the fandoms that I've hooked into that seem to be the good and, like, positive fandoms of just, like, you know... You, you know, you mentioned Lego. I've seen a lot of, of MOCs, my own creations, you know, things that people have made of their on their own. And the ratio of you know that looks neat to oh it's just blah, 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 you know uh, the, the that kind of positive to negative reaction is 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 very well skewed in the positive range and i think a lot of that is like there are some crazy in-depth 
guides that, you know, every Lego set that's ever been released, you can go and look up and see exactly what bricks are in it. Some of them, what revisions of bricks when you get into some of the very early Lego and they were kind of changing a little bit about how, how they made things clutch together. And all of that's out there and open internet. And I feel that the whole of the Lego, like collecting, building, doing things with fandom is better for it because that's just more information that's out there. And to try it, like the idea that I could silo that information off and have some dark power behind it is just egotistical and nonsensical. It's ridiculous. I mean, yeah. not to not to harp on, but I, I thought of another another reason why it annoys me. It's like you know, if if it's like, well, I happen to own this art or this 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 uh, this story bible, and it would be you know, it'd be devalued. My possession would be devalued if it were to be shared. It's like you you happen to own it. You didn't create it. it. Maybe you spent money, but it is regardless in the context of that document, that piece of artwork's life. It is sheer mm-hmm. coincidence that it happens to reside in your possession. It is not. It is not, like, your creation. It is not something that you put your name to. Unless you do something of value with it. You know? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to stop grousing about that so much. TJ, did you did you ever encounter this kind of mindset uh, in, in any fandoms, etc.? Not in any fandoms that I can remember. I'm trying to remember any situation where I've run across this in just, just in even a general geek spectrum where someone was like that. Um, I do agree with Aaron's sentiment is that more knowledge is not a bad thing. You know, and if yeah. some people are worried about like some, you know, some, some weird espionage thing or like, oh, well, I, you know, don't want not, you know, they don't want knockoffs or something like that. Like a knockoff company is just going to buy the toy themselves and knock right. it off. That's not like a, that's, that's, a, that's, that's kind of, oh no, we couldn't get a copy of the artwork except for what's how, kind of how, available <laughs> online. I surely can't right-click, save, and fudge <laughs> that token. Well, who's going to break <laughs> it to the Diaclone people? The Diaclone toys, in fact, have been knocked off already. Uh, unfortunately... I, I think it's just... <laughs> I, I think it's just there's some people in our fandom that are just weird about that kind of thing, and I, I think that goes to any fandom. There's going to be people who are super weird about what they have or the knowledge they possess or wanting to protect the value by not letting anyone else have it. Okay, it's okay. It, it's it's not the Colonel's secret blend of herbs and spices. It's a photo of a toy. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and it's, that's it's a photo. A little bit different. It's a photo of a toy people would love to see, uh, and and mm. if you put a watermark on it, then yours is still the fanciest. If you got to, right? <laughs> like. I mean, I mean, you see yeah. a permutation of this in, uh, in you know, the the weird system that I don't. I mean, I don't really engage with it that much, to be honest. I just hear, I hear the bullet points from people who do engage with it. But the whole uh, Transformers brand leak uh, uh, environment right now, uh, built around all this weird pursuit of like street cred for having a leak source. Uh, even back in Titans Return, when there was like the 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 um, deco sheets leaking around everywhere, and it's like. It's like, it's interesting that this is happening, and someday, uh, I'm happy that, you know, that they will be floating around and can be archived properly for that purpose, informational purposes. Mm-hmm. But, like, building your building your, your personal credential around, I'm the guy who can leak things about a toy line for the next six months, is like, why would you want to make that 
why would you want to make a bunch of styrofoam cups the foundation of your house? Like, they, that, it's all going to be worthless information in less than a year. And unless you have absolutely solid, regular access to the information, which I can guarantee you, you don't, uh, you got to find something else to, to bring value to people if you're going to make it about you. Now, if you're just going to spread the info, then go for it. Because, whatever, disseminate the information. Can't stop the signal. We all saw that movie. But, like, mm-hmm. if it's about, like, well, it's, it's me. I'm the one who's the lead. It's like, okay, cool. Thanks, Doc. Thanks, Dr. F- Fawcett. <laughs> to dribble some more information in your tub or whatever. <laughs> here's, here's the closest I ever came. Uh, the first time I went out to the east coast of Florida to do toy hunting, I picked out different shops and I emailed them ahead of time. Do you mind if I film inside for my YouTube channel? Do you mind if you, you know, you know I'm just, I'm going around visiting different toy shops in the area, going to do a video shouting everybody out and promoting Everyone was cool with it, except for this one little comic book shop that was like the oddest one of the whole batch. And the email I got back was, uh, no, you're not allowed to film here because I'm going to film a horror movie here. Like, um, like, like okay. what, was he set up to film it the... that weekend? And it'd be weird? I don't or... know. He didn't like he didn't want anyone using his set for anything. I'm like, I'm not filming a movie in there i want to give you free advertisement yeah i mean and I, I i can see his mindset in that i've experienced that mindset elsewhere before it's a it's a very guarded one and a very a very anxietous one and i i sure wish that that person had someone sitting next to them who could say you know it'd probably actually do a lot for the movie you want to make if a youtube video went out there saying hey this place is going to be a set for a horror movie coming up too that you can keep an eye out for uh that's uh, weird. <laughs> th- yeah, that w- that was years ago. Uh, last time I planned a toy trip out there, it's gone. Uh, well, it's because wonder the, how. Well, it's because that that's the horror movie. Yeah. <laughs> it, it ascended. It, it went to the next plane. Uh, <laughs> well, that's, they'll see. There is a horror movie. I go to visit the shop again, and the entire lot's empty. There's no. There's no <laughs> there building there anymore. Never was. That lot's been clear for 20 years. What do you mean, son? And you're like, hey, who said that? You turn around, there's just a desert all of a sudden behind you. <laughs> it's like, what the... <laughs> uh, I, I had two personal anecdotes that kind of relate to this that I, I feel are worth sharing. Um, one of them, uh, about being precious about owning stuff, is back at BotCon 2011, I got I very suddenly got to participate in a, in a voice actor script reading there, and it was uh, going to be recorded. And thankfully, someone I know... Uh, had the force, the forethought, and the foresight to bootleg record the whole thing for me, um, because it turned out uh, that you know many years, many years later, that that whatever recording Vacon did got completely you know janked in some way. I don't entirely understand, but uh, ever since that recording, that 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 uh, script reading, I had a recording of it, so I was like, well, I'm set. So this is cool. Um, and then, it, like, as the years went on, and I started to ascertain, like, I don't think. I don't think that their recording worked. Uh, it was like, okay, I'm not going to just like, I'm not going to lord it and sit on, you know, I have the one recording of this. So I, I just waited until enough time passed. And I talked to a couple people who had a hand in the, the script that had been written. And then I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to put this bootleg out on SoundCloud. If y'all, unless one of you really, really doesn't want me to, because you guys wrote it. So it, it's, 
you know, it's up, it's up to you. Well, you know, I can't remember anymore if it's like writers. It was basically it was it was the the people who I was worried would be upset if it was just like leaked out in low quality or whatever. And they were like, no, we just want anyone to hear it. So I was like, all right. So I made I made the the SoundCloud account and I, I put the bootleg up, and that was years ago because it was like, and, and I put it up under a pseudonym. Uh, it only I only mentioned I think like in January publicly that it was me because of some other nonsense that was going on, but like. Uh, that, that was a case where it was like, yeah, I have, I have like the one recording of this thing, I guess, that is listenable. Uh, so I'll just try to make it nice. And then I, I wasn't able to, so I just put up the raw and I put out some cryptic weird message on it where it was, it was like, fix it or something. Uh, but yeah, it's like, what, what would the purpose have been on like sitting on that? It's like, it's, I guess it is of value in that it is a vocal performance, but like, it, I just want it to be out there. And so I solved it myself. Uh, the other one, which is, I think, going to be a thing that we will solve in the coming years, is I'm one of the folks who bought a Beast Machine story bible off of Bob Skier, and the information in the Beast Machine story bible is incredibly cool. Uh, and it, the immediate thought that not not just myself but others had was like, this is the kind of stuff that should just fill up a TF wiki. But then the question arose amidst everyone who bought it, that I'm aware of at least, of like, this is the one really high-ticket thing Bob Skier has to sell at conventions to, like, get a bit of money for the the longevity effect of the work he did. So, is it our place to just duplicate the document into a Wikipedia, or should we wait? And so, right now, it seems like the consensus is, like, wait till he stops having copies to sell, I guess. Uh... Because, at least, again, speaking for myself, I bought it off of him and had it signed. It was, like, you know, I think like I think it was 30 bucks or something. I can't remember. I spent money on it, and I own a copy. Uh, from that perspective, I would love for this whole thing to just be digitally online. And the only reason that I haven't done it is because I think Bob Scare still has ones he wants to sell. And I think it would be unfair to buy one off of him and then just, like, you know, fart the whole thing out on the internet while he still would like to sell some. Because... He's a convention guest, and convention guests that aren't voice actors, as far as I know, don't get a ton of money uh, from going to shows. So that thing's in, like, a weird floating limbo space. But those are two examples that I feel like kind of, I don't know, they, they seem relevant to this question. Uh, I was I'm, It was on my mind because I just looked at it today because I, I have it stowed away in a box right now. And uh, I was getting something else out of the box. Um, so hopefully that hopefully that answered the listener question, uh, Prime Studio. Um Hey, do either of you guys have, have questions about the Beast Machine story bible? Does someone say something? I'm going to do a rock bit. It's going to be really funny. No. Well, I'm not going to answer your question because I own it. I bought it with my money and it's my possession. And when people want to read it, I'm going to charge them $2 a page. No, that's not. That's way too low. I'm going to charge them $2 a, a letter if they want to read it. Well, my personal copy signed by Bob's... Anyway, I'm trying to do a bit like the weird people who don't want their art knocked... Anyway. Hey, we got another listener question from Triceradon. Uh, uh, this listener question reads, Hello, WTF and TFW crew. Today I have a question for you. Through unknown but probably hilarious circumstances, you have been given the ability to choose one pre-Prime Wars figure... 2006 to 2014 to be given another go with modern toy engineer 2006 isn't modern anymore oh god that's a real existential moment uh 
Anyway, uh, a figure from 06 to 2014 can be given another go with modern toy engineering. The design of both modes would remain the same, i.e. Classics Megatron would still be that sci-fi nerf blaster, but it would otherwise be made to the same standards of a modern mainline generations toy for good and for ill. What figure would you choose and why? How might the figure be improved with the advances in toy engineering and what might be lost, i.e. hollowed parts due to risen plastic costs or other negative elements of the modern toy industry? Uh... Uh, there's a second list of questions, but we're gonna go to this one. Go with this one first. So you're one, you're one old pre-Prime Wars toy because that actually is that that cutoff is eight years ago. Holy crap! Um, so we'll start with you, Aaron. Uh, what what elderly 2014 era toy would you want to have redone to modern standards? My hip is acting up, and so is my arthritis after this question. Um, <laughs> man, I don't know. The the rough thing is, is like, I cannot, off the top of my head, think of any toy that's a toy that I'd want to see again that would necessarily need re-engineering of that age. Because if we're saying, uh, no, although depending on how far back you say pre-Prime Wars, because I'm sure that there's some like, um... Oh, what was the was it Energon Decepticon boat guy? Uh, um, Mirage. Mirage. Um, yeah, but that, that's why his name blanks this, on me because case, that's not a bot name. Um, like in this case, our our window doesn't go back that far. Yeah, our window begins with classics. He, he says pre Prime Wars though, and that would be pre Prime War. Um, I, yeah, I guess so. But I mean, if you're saying something like that, like Energon had some weird quirks that were just like, and then somebody else does the rest. Um, that it'd be nice if somebody else did the rest on, um, or maybe the line wide gimmick didn't jam it up so much, but I would, I would love to see the Energon line wide gimmick actually done again in a modern era. Cause I think that there would be more efficient ways to do it. That would be identified. Yeah. Um, that would not rely on the, you know, for instance, uh, on the price level, I think it would actually be a boon that they wouldn't be able to just go, I don't know, just put tons of nylon plastic clips into everybody. Yeah, because like that stuff takes up real estate, right? Like that makes, yeah. that, makes that, the figures kind of that whole swat. Autobot combiner <laughs> block thing that every Autobot had to have, unless it combined with its own parts in its own way. Yeah, because all the deluxes yeah. and Voyagers had that same block, yep. so that they could become shirts or pants, and then they all had to be a vehicle mode, a robot mode, a shirt mode, and a pants mode, and. Oh, it was, sorry, it wasn't the Deluxe and Voyagers, it was the Supercons and Megacons, yes, I believe. Yes, sorry, sorry, sorry. The, the not cheapest one, and the not most expensive one. Correct. It'd also be great to get Energon without Supercons and Megacons uh, as the price points, just because that would make my brain feel, I think, happier. Uh... But no, I mean, like, an efficient version of that, like a slimmed-down, less expensive version, I think there's a good chance that could actually be a lot more fun to mess with uh, mm-hmm. in, in some ways. Um, not to make that my answer, but also, boy, that would be really cool. Uh, TJ, what about you? What's something pre-Prime Wars from, I'm going to say it again, the long-ago, far-bygone age of 2014 that you would like to see? Uh I, I mean, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna cheat and go beyond the bounds of the question. Uh, if I if I was going to, it'd be alternators. But be but within that the bounds. That would be so cool. Oh jeez. 
because they were also kind of like bloated, but because of the time and just things had not been tried before. But oh, those imagine efficient alternators as well, specifically yeah. like that size still. Oh. Mm. So here's the ones that came to mind. Uh, and it is the Fall of Cybertron Combaticons. Oh, that whole line! Oh, yeah. Oh, boy! Yeah. Because yeah. I, like I like the looks of those toys, but that was in one of those weird between-budget engineering lines where everything was kind of jank and they didn't really know how to handle the new budget just yet. Well, that, that line, in my opinion, I would use the word sundered. For that line, like every every figure in that line had aspir was designed with aspirations of having the budget of two years beforehand, and and like that line deserves another go because every single one of those toys had to compromise itself horrendously mm -hmm. uh, down to its most basic elements, and it, yeah, like the the, the Combaticons especially, but all oh, all those toys deserve another go, and I would champion that in, a, in an instant. Like the, the Combaticons, aside from Onslaught, the, the other four were trying to be quadruple changers while also being stripped down, uh, to to mm -hmm. jam into that budget that that new budget. Like, oh boy, that that is that is something that I would like. If Legacy is going to be a multi year line, that's the kind of thing that deserves to be in Legacy. Like the the the, the toys that just didn't get a chance that that got robbed of of their uh. Their their skin and meat when <laughs> they were just left with bones and ligaments. Yeah, I, I can't think of a better answer than that one. Yeah, I was I was, I had some ideas, but no, I completely overrode it, especially Bruticus. I like that Bruticus too, because it was trying to survive with half of its body removed. <laughs> uh, but that's the thing, like like I can remember like. Like Vortex, I really liked. I really liked the look of Blast Off. Yeah, just something about like the big shoulder rockets and the look of mm -hmm. the vehicle mode. Like, I think there's a lot of really good aesthetic there that just did not get a chance. Yeah, well, the, like there, the rear view of them basically had like an entire layer removed. Like that's that's almost the aesthetic of of that entire line. Is if you, everyone from the back looks like all the skin on their back had been torn off. So you could just see all the skeletal armature inside. Um, yeah, because like my answer was just going to be like, "Yo, it'd be nice if they had one more go at Armada Hotshot." Because every time they tried, it was like okay, but you know, not the best thing in the world. Uh, that's that really about it, as far as what I was thinking of was like Universe Two Hotshot would like to see one more attempt, please. Because Cheetor had another. Cheetor and Dinobot had their extra attempts. After Universe 2, what happened to Hotshot? Give him his. Uh, like, uh, I was also trying to think of the things for ill right now, but honestly, like, like one of the biggest things for ill of the modern era was that was highlighted in the question was hollowed parts, but it's like, that Fall of Cybertron line ain't got anything left. That That's one where it would gain body mass mm -hmm. from coming out now. <laughs> if, yeah, that's... Yeah, that that line is not hollow. That line is skin. Yeah, that's all that's left. Well, here's what I think: is if the Fall of Cybertron toys came out now, they would be physically lighter, yet in hand more substantial. That's what I think they would be. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Plenty of ways to have like we'll just have these. You know, sure, it's mostly skin just to do its thing, but 
here's where this clicks together and that clicks together to to work well. Yeah. Oh, I totally think that would that would fit Legacy too. That and that would be such a nice coda for Follow Cybertron on an official level because like that game's you know gone. That whole studio's uh, been cored out like a like a friggin' apple. Uh, I mean, I said it before. Like all the all the work done on that game deserves better than what it got officially. Um, so yeah, I, I fully champion that. Anyway, there there was one other listener question here from Triceradon, which is during the Reagan administration, the FCC loosened restrictions on advertising to children in TV shows and commercials, paving the way for a proliferation of kids' television designed to sell toys, with Transformers being one of them. Suppose that Carter had won in 1980, and the FCC maintained its regulations. How do you think Transformers might have developed in this environment, if at all? Best of podcasting. So I don't know how any of y'all's presidents work. Like I don't, I don't know how you unbox them. I don't know how you grow them. You know, but like, so I'm not really sure what 1980 was like with uh, with all that. But uh, I have an outlook on this. But I'm curious if you guys have an outlook on this as well, because I I have a pretty solid thought on what would happen if that regulation had not been loosened. <laughs> but I mean, if the regulation uh, hadn't been loosened, I don't think that nearly as many of the the cartoons that that people our age at least or our our age group remember from the 80s would be a thing you know watch watch any of the toys that made us documentary show and the number of them that were like yeah "Yeah, we just made a toy we you know we made a toy line off of this cartoon to have something to sell off of this cartoon because you know it was easy to easy to make a cartoon that was, you know, the Saturday morning, you know, serial pop-out stuff for the after-school, you know, show block, and Playmates made their their existence off of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, you know, and just a, a, a line every three months or whatever they were doing at their peak that was insane of, like, hey, here's eight new designs and we'll see if we can get them each in, in an episode once so that you can have the thing that was in the episode once because we made a toy out of it. Like it was, it was very much an Ouroboros eating its own tail type of thing. And if like something stopped that circle from starting, I don't think that we would have had transformers in the U S anything like what we did. Um, Yeah. If at all, like, like the question, like Triceradon asks. Well, I, I'm fascinated, though, by the idea of the cultural path that would have happened, because I think that I, I don't think Transformers would have ever existed in that scenario. I think uh, I think Diaclone might have had several comebacks alongside Machine Robo over in Japan. I think that Brave Yusha might still have happened because, uh, you know, Gundam was still a thing and that, you know, Sunrise doing super robots was kind of working with Takara, sort of the thing that, that Brave Yusha was. I think versions of all that stuff would have happened less informed by Transformers imagery wherever it happened to inform things with Takara's projects. Uh, what I want to know is what the enthusiast culture abroad, like in North America, would have been to pick up on all that stuff without uh, without nascent cultural touchstones like the toy commercial cartoons that, that uh, it, it, spread it, out over the, the 80s and 90s. It, it'd be near zero. It'd be There'd be people that would be interested in some of those... Transforming toys 
that their dad brought back from a military deployment or or that were some weird like if if there's no I don't think at least that if if there was no cartoon for if there was no like driving force to go get you to go to a toy store like there might have been the like original 84 diaclone wave of transformers might have come out as a thing that was called diaclone or something in, oh, no, on the toy shelves right did. but i'm saying it, it might have yeah. like there might have been uh you know because diaclone did kind of sort of come out in the u.s but it was never like a, a coordinated thing that you could go into, like you know, you, when you see those those, you know, wonderfully nostalgic for a certain generation, you know, photos of Toys R Us's with a literal whole like half aisle is GI Joe with all yeah, the yeah. vehicles and things. You never would have gotten that. You would have gotten a four foot oh, no, section no. maybe at Toys R Us's that was like, and here's these cars that turn into robot mecha yeah, things. Yeah. Because they would have had their diet clone drivers. Well, I'm, I'm just thinking it. I think it would have existed as one more pocket of what was the the 70s, 80s, 90s, um, like Japanese fandom culture for things like uh, like kaiju movies, for anime, mm-hmm. for uh, tokusatsu. And I th- I think that's why I'm kind of fascinated by thinking about it. Is like the idea that like because also Americans would have had the nascent touchstones. Of the seventies, still existing, the mm-hmm. the Star Wars toy phenomena still would have happened mm-hmm. uh, once. So there would be versions of it in the cultural memory. They uh, they wouldn't have been as supplanted as they were by the eighties version of how things went, and then the kind of artistic shift into the nineties that happened. But that artistic shift might have happened with whatever product did get created in the nineties. Still, I think. And the 80s would have been a void era based on nostalgia, probably for 70s properties. I don't know. There's, there's some really I, cool like, I could, cats that could have been walked I could in maybe see G.I. Joe having happened the way that it did. Because it probably would have the, never the, gone the fantasy. Not, not quite a – yeah, not fantasy. But I'm saying like the original yeah. like three and three quarters G.I. Joe. Oh, yeah. Yeah, like, yeah that's like what the I'm 12-inch like, G.I. Joe because that was like early 70s. I want to say I don't yeah, know my Joe that, timeline that probably, well enough, but the shrink down just had a little would comeback. Worked. It would have had a thing. Yeah. It, I don't think it would have been nearly as big and for nearly as long as it was. Again, not oh, having no, no, a no. cartoon to feed it, but I could I could see them but, potentially having had three and three quarters as a line because that size was in Japan already with Microman. I want to say yeah, yeah. So like uh, there and, would have been some potential like cross feed on it that could that could keep it going for a year or two but i don't think that without some media driving not to say media before but without some something feeding the interest beyond what you know the kid sees in the toy aisle like yeah yeah i i, th- I think it would have been some interesting surges in stocks well, I, and maybe maybe if they had think, a comic book comics. Yeah, comics yeah comics would have been a big thing. part um I think I think the import of of toys still would have happened. In fact, I'm going to take it back. I think Transformers might have existed as a comic property nonetheless. Uh, but the, the the thing that would have been so neat to look in on uh, from here somehow would be that I think all of these things would all be small scale. They would be they would be one to two year moments, flashes in in a child's memory, 
But without the stimuli of the 80s cartoon uh, toy commercial era, those little flashes might have stuck harder in different ways. The enthusiast culture might have been smaller, but had a harder passion and not the kind of hard passion we see now in modern fandom, but more like the hard passion that I can recall from people who are like 10 years older than me in the nineties, remembering stuff from the seventies. Like, uh, there's a really cool parallel world in this that is not like fantastical, but just like, I think you can really think about and hypothesize about based on what eighties did to alter the whole language of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and trickle down things. economics wouldn't have happened without the Reagan administration. So, I mean, it'd be better off all together, right? <laughs> no politics in the threat. I, I, hey, I'm from Canada. I don't even know what a trickle is. I never heard of it. Um, <laughs> anyway, I, I like thinking about that that kind of stuff. It just makes me think a lot about some of the energy that was there in the '90s around around like VHS anime import, uh, and if that was like around just just around collectible toy stuff, you know? Like, oh boy, so interesting. Uh, I was w- waving my hands a lot during that, by the way. Um, getting very excited um also triceradon was almost like oh depending on how close it treads to politics it's entire fine if you i'm not gonna re- i'm not rejecting it like aaron said just no one can talk about politics in the thread that's all because <laughs> everyone mm-hmm. everyone has self-control tj i believe in everyone do you believe in everyone uh, let's say i do that was a noted pause <laughs> uh but, uh, uh, TJ, did you have did no, any other um, thoughts on this one? Uh, it's just such a weird idea. I mean, I, I think a lot... It is. It is. I do think the awareness of the toys and being something that's supposed to drive toy sales, and, you know, the the cartoons themselves, I do think... with I do think with a lot of that changing, I do think... Uh, I, what we would have gotten in the 80s would have been more fly-by-night, one-year, maybe two-year extension. I think... Without that change, you're looking at. You, you're either looking at what we had with like Hanna Barbera shows in the 70s, where there's no toy lines for Scooby Doo at the time. It's just mm-hmm. a cartoon for kids to watch and it's all for ratings. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, so you would have seen things out of like if Hasbro wants to do a. You know, you know, Hasbro doesn't want to do a cartoon if it can't sell a toy, for starters. So there is a there is that one parallel universe where there is no such thing as Transformers because you know they, they you know they can't commercialize it, or it becomes like just a a one year and done thing you know without the cartoon and without all the commercials driving all those toy sales, you, you know, you're looking at a Transformer line that doesn't need to go to you know ten other toy lines out of Japan to feed the American line. Yeah, you know, you're not. You know, you're looking at like, you know, there is no. Yeah, you know, at, at that point, like, there is no Omega Supreme. I was about to like, say there are no deluxe <laughs> Autobots or no deluxe Insecticons or anything that they had. Any anything they had to just pull from anywhere they could just to get more toys on the shelves in time. You know, it's a. You know, even if the Transformer cartoon happens, it's usually it'd be like it'd be a it'd be a one and done seasonal thing. It'd be closer to a lot of the fly by night cartoons we had in the nineties, mm-hmm. where. You know, it's out. There's a toy line, but we're not allowed to do anything with it. We're not allowed to mention it. And and then it just goes off by the wayside, and we move on to another thing next year. Yeah. 
I have one other thought about this, which is um, because comics would have been fair game, right? Uh, and a lot of these '80s cartoons, they came about as a mixture of two things: was was like cocaine fueled marketing sleaze, coupled with young sci-fi and fantasy writers stuck writing toy commercials and not writing, uh, you know, the next Ursula Le Guin, basically, kind of thing. And that that energy was also kind of what created some of the most memorable uh, emotion in those shows. I, I imagine if they if they had to confine themselves to like comic books, that marketing sleaze would have just it would have like punched itself up so hard in the comics. Can you imagine? Like it would have been like in my mind's eye, it would have been stuff like uh, a mandate to the artists. You have to draw these so they look precisely like the toys. They have to look exactly like the toys. In fact, if we can fire the artist and just have photos of the toys with word bubbles, and, and, and me, the guy who invented He-Man by saying, because I found, like, a tiger toy, and I was like, no, we had a toy line for this, and then invented the toy line later. Like, that guy would have been like, no, no, yeah, it's I, I just, I write all the word bubbles, and I take photos of these prototypes, and we got an artist to, I don't know, like, put a filter over them. I just think that it would have been fun to see that, like, kind of the sleaze side that was so integral to 80s toy commercial cartoons, like, ramping itself up to just try to, like, subsume a whole segment of comic books in the 80s instead. Uh, you know, and I say this maybe it, in fact, did, and I just never noticed, but, like, I don't know. That was one last thought that just popped into my head while you guys were were, were talking. Um, but, oh, yeah, like, like the just the, the shorter run stuff, like, I wonder if we would have gotten the weirder 90s kids cartoon vibe of stuff like Conan the Adventurer and, and etc. Like, earlier on, where it's sort of, you, you make a show about this property, but otherwise we're kind of just leaving you to your own devices. Uh, it's really interesting to think about, the more that we talk about it. So I'm going to have us move on, because that's, that's how we roll. Uh, thanks for the question, though, Triceradon. Uh, our last question for this episode is from Picky Peeves. Uh, contributing chat member over at Discord slash Transformers TCG, I will, I will note. Um, Picky Peeves says, Hi, Chris, Aaron, and TJ, I hope this question finds you all in good spirits, and just in general, parentheses, I'm too much of a Zoomer to know how to navigate forums, and guess what? I'm too much of a millennial now to know how to navigate forums. <laughs> uh, goes on to say, I come to you in this, insert whatever time of day you're recording, with two questions. One, I've asked before on one of Chris's streams about expanding the idea of transformations as an art form and how that might fall in with good art that's unpleasant to consume. Uh, I figured that question might be better suited to the podcast. Can any of you think of toys with good transformations that you don't like doing? Or where the unpleasantness of that transformation is the point? I remember when I asked on stream, uh, Chris mentioned Bold Forms Gladius, which feels like a different case of good ideas, poor execution to me, but I hope that's enough of an explanation uh, of what I'm asking for uh, than sounding like some jackass asking, quote, what toy transformation elicits the same feelings as watching Grave of the Fireflies, end quote. Uh, at which point I feel like, unironically, many voices would start talking about some modern masterpiece toys, I guess. <laughs> Technically... Would you say M original MP Megatron is the grave of the Fireflies of Masterpiece? MPM Starscream. <laughs> no, that's not even a good transformation. That's just a bad transformation that's entirely unpleasant. Whoa. Whoa. Ooh. Hey, man, I, I tried mean, to transform it in the, back it. in the box, and it took me an hour because there was some... Uh, I, I shifted 
moved, shifted, moved, and instead I needed to move, move, shift, shift. Or some nonsense like that. That's just to make you think about the futility of your actions in the in the face of the military construct, because you know, and Starscream's a big military yeah. airplane and like uh TJ, you were you had, you were saying something? Um three come to my mind. Alright. And uh the the only one of them was only came in because you mentioned Masterpiece, but that would probably be the original Starscream on top of I don't like transforming it. That was also the one that was mm-hmm. like super brittle. Yeah, the, brit- the, the brittleness um, but was like yeah. That, that was I would almost say the brittleness was a fault of the era because that's when masterpiece toys were super jank at the like. I think a lot of people forget masterpiece toys didn't actually feel great after MPO one until like MP ten. Well, so. well, that's <laughs> mm-hmm. that's the thing. It's like you forget that MPO one was very likely going to be an anniversary thing, and that's right. it. Yeah. Like, if it didn't take off and be as popular as it was, there is no MP02 to begin with. You know, and Starscream is literally the second attempt. Yeah. And I'll note, yeah. Starscream was a Kawamori design being done, being manufactured by Takara Tomy, who were trying to do basically a Soul of Jagokin level toy with, I remember, this is the, the way that me and a lot of people thought of it. It's like, they make mainline Transformers, they have barely any experience making something like a Soul of Jagokin. And this is in like the 2000s. And I think that really informs, like, a lot of the faults of those early masterpieces. Like, you know, the brittle plastic, no. the, yeah. But like, I don't even have to go to masterpiece to get two that came to mind. One of them was R.I.D. Sideburn. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, that one's, now, that one's small enough that you can get used to it, but it is such a convoluted transformation for a deluxe class. Mm. Like to a ridiculous level, the one that I think is worse, and I will like, and this is like probably the most hatred I've ever had for a toy while trying to transform it was Revenge of the Fallen Mixmaster. I would say that was that was more of a of a just a that was more of a mess than a Grave of the Fireflies. <laughs> I just I just distinctly remember talking to a dealer at a convention and tell and he just had these. These horror stories. This is someone who like buys and sells old toys for a living. He had you know hundreds of Transformers there with him, and he would talk in dread about all of the Mixmasters he had to transform in order to transport them to a show. And it was just four of them, and it was his entire evening to get four of them hmm. transformed. Actually, I take back what I said. I think Mixmaster is a good Grave of the Fireflies of, of transforming candidate because... The experience of Mixmaster's transformation and the parts that were not fun were also very hand-in-hand with the aesthetic. And and really elicited that aesthetic. For better and for worse. And for a lot of people, for worse and for worse and for worse on top of that. Uh, that's kind of where my mind goes, yeah. like Because, I mean, you look at Mixmaster and it's like, why should this guy be pleasant to transform? Just look at him. He, he looks. He looks like he he'll friggin' uh, pulverize my fingers if I shake his hand, and if I'm and if I'm the one who's putting all the pressure in the handshake at that, because uh, I'm I'm trying to. This is where my mind's going. I am thinking about MP36 because I think that is a good transformation, but I like doing it. But a lot of people don't like doing it. However, 
rarely do I hear someone who doesn't like doing it also say it's a bad transformation design. Usually the not liking doing it is this is because of what it has to do to pull off the trick it's doing. And I, I feel like that sort of exists in the space of this question. The transformation you respect and want to let someone else actually handle. Because uh, there's a fine line, right, between something like MP36 and something like, a, you know, Mixmaster. Or something like uh, the, uh, the attempts at Masterpiece-style toys that go for balls on sticks to, to, to solve the problem, right? Like, what if I just shred the toy into a million pieces that you just ball socket around all over the place, and eventually you arrive at the other mode? Uh, it, it creates one of those fine line uh, experiences. But also, when it's when it's like Grave of the Fireflies being referenced, I'm thinking like, well, maybe what if though it's like a what if it's like a porcupine Beast Wars Transformer who actually draws blood from you? Because that's because that's the point, right? Oh, hey, it's just the point. I just realized what I said. Ah! <laughs> uh. <laughs> Woo! Anyway, I like this question. I'd like to. I'd like to know other from other listeners, like uh, what do you think. Like, I would say, don't don't just think. What's my least favorite transformation? Think specifically along the lines of stuff like that. Like, it's not bad. You just hate it. You hate doing it. Uh, I was about. You know what? Whole subsection. Whole subset of this. Gold plastic uh, transformers. Right. Where it's like, these transformations are fine, but they are so finite. They are entropy. Someday, no one will know uh, what a, a Comet Mode Preview 07 movie Starscream toy is like, because none survived. Uh, they are all just dust. Entropy. Anyway, question number two from Picky Peeves. I don't know if it's perhaps my cynicism for the marketing growing to a pessimistic level, but I find there are many items I as a collector would desperately want that I probably won't see being made uh, due to the only to uh, being the only source of demand for them. Uh, for instance, I've often been overzealous, sorry TJ, in voicing my wish for seeing a figure of Dinobot as a fully feathered raptor that it seems neither Hasbro nor any third-party company will make. Uh, what, if any, other examples do you all have of toys you want to see that will likely never exist and or how do you learn to live with that, for lack of a better term, ennui? Uh, I look forward to hearing your answers and uh, seeing more from the podcast in general. Um, I think that, you know what, a lot of things that we... I feel we all have something that we thought we were going to see sometime in the 2010s that has now become an answer to this question, to be honest. Uh, but I don't know, like... Um, Aaron, I'll start with you. Like, what, what's a torch that you feel like is just going to be your torch that's probably never going to come to roost? As a torch, man, I don't know. I'm sitting here trying to think of, like, I don't know if we'll ever. You're being serviced, actually. Like all these Sikorsky branded blackouts yeah. coming out. Like <laughs> that is pretty nice. Um, I'm just trying to think of, like. Like an animated Redux thing. I don't think that that's, yeah. Like like nobody nobody's got the chops to do that. There, I, that is such a, a I think perfect storm of designers and collaborators coming together that, uh, just isn't ever going to happen again, because it can't. Uh, just like they had the high of Cartoon Network actually backing them and actually airing the cartoons to actually making that stuff sell for real on its, like, 
again, to kind of loop back to the earlier question of like really using that TV presence to really sell the toys and just coupled with a, hey, you know, we're not form over function. It's like form is guiding function for for transformations. Just the whole like Optimus Prime transforms with his axe already in his hands because that's a character moment. Like stuff like that mm-hmm. baked into levels of design that I don't see happening again. So I'll I'll be the optimist. I think it could return, but I think that right now, despite what anyone ever says, and I hate saying this, but I think that this was proven to me over the course of several years, I don't think enough people care. And I think that's a real shame. And I think that partly comes from a lack of you know, discussing things in terms of stuff like what you were describing, the the way the transformation was part of the feel, the character mm-hmm. of, the, of the of of the toy in, in hand. Uh, not to say people don't talk about that stuff, but I think that that topic often just gets kind of trampled on. Um, and thinking about that stuff in such a granular granular level does not get encouraged very much uh, in fandom spaces, mm-hmm. um, with with notable exceptions. And I think that more people are starting to to realize the value in that kind of topic and that kind of thinking. And I think there could be a day when enough people want to see something that speaks on that level of the artistry of transformation toys that like it could come. I think it is possible. I just think that it is not as straightforward as most of us thought it would be 10 years ago to come back. Like I I think that in, in the 2010s, it seemed like it would be a home run and then it never happened. And I think in the 2010s, it would have been a home run. And I think that that was an opportunity missed uh, enormously. But um, I'm going to say I don't think it's I don't think that battle's over. But I, I can understand feeling that way regardless, because it's a, it's going to be a while if it happens. Um, I'm saying all this, by the way, so that's like some legacy reveal. And like at the end of the year, it can just like shove a shoe in my mouth. Right. Like, oh, the legacy year two, all animated all day. <laughs> Got Eric Zevenaler back in and everything. Uh, the, the TJ, what about you? Like, what's what's uh, a torch that you feel is is probably just going to be yours and maybe a couple other people's for the foreseeable? So, the answer for animated did make me think back to like some of those animated prototypes that never got made that looked really really good. Yeah. Except I know I'm not. A, I'm not a. I'm not alone, however, in wanting, like, a Marauder Megatron, for instance. Mm -hmm. Um, But I'm thinking back to something a little bit more obscure. I'm sure there's some people who will die on the hill with me. Um, I'm still waiting. I'm still waiting for an actual toy, and even third party hasn't done this. Uh, I'm waiting for someone to produce me that... The one in G1 from Five Faces of Darkness that we called U-Haul Robot Forever, and it's mm. now, like, G1 Sentinel Prime. Yeah, yeah, the, the blue guy. Yeah. Yeah, it's the blue and orange one with that horned, like, truck mode. Like, it's a design I always really, really liked. Like, I, I love how that to- how that character looks. And, like, there's a lot of good attention going on in that design, for something that was never going to get a figure mm-hmm. at all. You know, and there's this part of me that's just thinking about like, there's some really cool stuff in like that. Even that flashback on Cybertron in general, I think is like such a good well of just like 
we've never done these designs before or hey here's this here's this Decepticon motorcycle guy why you know why are we just like sitting on all of these Rekgars and not making him uh but like that one in particular I'm like there there's a page in G1 history where like this is the leader before Optimus Prime and he doesn't have a toy yeah um except for the orange train guy what <laughs> Well, also, this is this is why I'm, I'm going to throw in the optimism again because I, I, I genuinely do feel this. We're in an era where there are, there's a lot of effort being put into representing physically impossible animation model transformations, uh, and and to me that alone, I don't mind that that happening as long as the transformation has good flow. That's what I want, and sometimes those those do, sometimes they don't. But you know, you have your things like like the upcoming the the Legacy Blitzwing, right? Where there's Fake parts galore, um, in order to match three cartoon models as best as possible, uh, rather than having like linear progression of parts getting you know to where they are on the robot. Um, that stuff, I think there is a decent chance that all of that culminates in looking at those kind of G one animation designs, the ones who literally just like just uh, uh, they 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 silly putty burp themselves into an alt mode. Or, or back, right? Like, in a way that, like, this doesn't make any sense. There's no, there's no, uh, there's no, like, design, uh, concern as to how that blue-orange guy turns into that U-Haul thing. He just kind of goes, bleh, and does it. So, like, that, I think that, I think that what is going on with Legacy, uh, and, and G1 mainline type things that are trying so hard to do these animation model stuff, uh, I think all of that may well culminate in hitting some of those weird Florodary-ish, uh, designs, like, head-on. Um, in in like two or three years from now, so I, I think there's still hope for that stuff. You know what? There is also still hope for, but I've decided I'm just going to say it's only my torch because I'm doing this to challenge the universe. My selection for for this question is freaking Omega Supreme, because every entity. Not just official, just every single entity has pointedly gone out of their way to disappoint me. And I'm going to just say it. I don't think any of them know how to make an Omega Supreme. They're going to try to claim, like, oh, we're, we don't want to see any of this of weird color schemes. We already made an Omega Supreme, because that's who it actually is, blah, blah, blah. Now, great job trying to, trying to hold a poker face. None of y'all have the skill to accomplish it. Not, none of you all could if you tried. So, uh, you want to prove me wrong? Give it a try. Give it a try, huh? Punk? Think you can do it? Prove it. You've had, uh, let me just check my watch that I'm not wearing. Uh, uh, let's see, 14 years, uh, so far, uh, to, to, to answer the call of, uh, of the one true Omega. Uh, all due respect, TJ. Um, and uh, I, I, I think it's it's justifiable for me to say maybe just none of you have the skill to do it. Uh, approve me wrong. That's going to be mine. Because uh, also, every single time I thought, all right, we're finally lining up for an Omega Supreme, be it Hasbro, be it Mastermind Creations, be it fan-made TCG cards, everyone always backs away. Because they know that Omega Supreme is the most complex character in all the Transformers fiction. Uh, that's my answer for that question. That may have sounded like I'm doing a bit. That doesn't also mean I'm not serious in my disappointment. Uh, 
Also, I support feathered uh, dinosaurs. Basically, I've been on a kick ever since I recorded that podcast with Mikey um, on here. It was a WCFTFW about paleontology in Transformers. I have decided that paleontologists and paleo-adjacent expertise people should be the ones making all the calls on the aesthetics of dinosaur Transformers. Because every single time anyone in that field or adjacent to that field tells me stuff about dinosaurs... Uh, that would slightly differently inform uh, a transform transformer who turns into a dinosaur. It makes me see a much cooler toy that is not being made. Uh, can I share with you guys what I learned the other day? One of the new facts I learned as a eager young as uh, if dinosaur we could stop you. Just fan? tell us. Did you know that the T Rex actually has like the most recent T Rex uh, approximation skeleton thing? Uh, that the, the, the way we usually look at a T-Rex rib cage, right? Classically in you know, Jurassic Park, Beast Wars Megatron is that like their ribs end and then they just get like this like really slim, muscular, thin chest that like sucks up into those ribs. The most recent skeleton I saw, thanks to Picky Peeves uh, over in the TCG Discord was like that those ribs go all the way around. So a, a T-Rex actually like, like could actually, uh, according to paleontologists, have quite a barrel belly. And then I look at all the Beast Wars Megatron toys, and they all suffer the most trying to cram the upper half of the robot into that slim T-Rex torso. And, like, if it, if it, if Beast Wars Megatron's beast mode had a kind of a big barrel chest, barrel belly, also just make for a better toy. You could fit the robot mode's upper half in there easier. It would ha- give you more mass to turn into cool shoulder pylons to make them look more threatening um i have never been led astray by a paleontologist talking about transformers so i've come to just say let him make the give them three years to just run dinosaur transformers i think we get some really cool stuff dinosaurs are friggin cool and weird i still am not getting over the part where t-rex's little arms were very likely actually like friggin yoked just ripped just like little two little tiny like friggin' uh, steroid machines of natural musculature. Um, to quote Irish Paleo uh, Mikey on Twitter, uh, well, to, to paraphrase, uh, whatever that recent dinosaur show came out, they should have shown off how the T Rex was ripped, had, had super powered arms by having those T Rexes like throw rocks and stuff. Because also, it'd be really cool to watch a T Rex throw rocks really far. <laughs> uh, Anyway, that's my little, uh, uh, what do you call it, soapbox. I have completed my soapbox. I hope we've all learned something about T-Rexes being able to have a gut. I mean, am I wrong? Do you guys do you guys think it would be cool if T-Rex toys that turn into robots got to have just a bit more mass to play with? Because they, they, that, they never have very be, much that'd mass. Be, that'd be nice. I'm mean, trying to cram all that stuff in this little shape. Anyway, uh, <laughs> to say, trust your local paleontologist as though every town has one, right? Yeah, um, yeah he's right in anyway, there with uh, the soda jerk at the pharmacy. You just go in and ask him about the latest in dinosaur happenings. <laughs> I would love it if, uh, what's that accent called? It's not just Bostonian. There's a word for that accent. Oh, you're the ta- accent. You're, you're talking the, um, what is it, the coastal... Um, Coastal, yeah. And there, there's a specific one that is like that 20s news accent. Yeah. Um, 
It is crap. I saw something about this recently, and it's making me mad. Um, <laughs> 20s news. He's Googling it. Yes. Um, Mid-Atlantic or transatlantic accent? Yes. Yeah, I want to. I want there in every town to be a soda jerk and a paleontologist who both sit in the diner, uh, and uh, a, tr- a gentleman with transatlantic accent uh, constantly walks into the diner, orders a nickel cup of coffee and a slice of pie for a dollar, and then asks about the freshest news in soda jerk and paleo and dinosaurs uh, from the two experts. That would be a perfect scenario and a perfect town to live in. Um, I'm feeling a little bit loopy, so I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna say we, uh, it's been subtle, but I've been getting a little bit punchy in the last few minutes. So I'm gonna say it's, uh, let's let's wind this one down. Our uh, listener question installment of uh, WTFTFW. Thank you all for sending in those questions. Uh, we do have still actually a pretty decent pile of questions. Not like you know overwhelming, but quite a few. Um, so we'll, we'll hit up some more of those when we uh, when we can. But until then, Aaron, uh, thank you for joining me. I'm always uh, TJ, thank you for joining me, and also thank you for warding off that flood. Oh, any any, any time. I appreciate it. Uh, and uh, we will all talk to you all later. So until then, stay safe, uh, enjoy your toys, respect your robots, and uh, like brush your teeth. I guess you probably should. It's good for you. stop.